Thank you for listening to our Chat Canna broadcast. This podcast was originally created for our YouTube channel and is being rebroadcast here for your convenience. We'd like to thank the folks at Canna RHX for providing this Chat Canna podcast. And good afternoon, everyone. And again, actual temperatures in the 30 below this morning. We have finally uh, we have finally hit winter. And of course, Echo talks to me every day and tells me what uh, what the time is and what my schedule is. And it's a wonderful little device. Echo, stop. And uh, we always love that. Welcome to Chat Canna. Of course, Monday, the short version, it's called Have You Heard? And we have some news and information to bring to you today. And a big question, actually, of the question of our show is today is, has Minnesota and Minnesota hemp hit a plateau? And we have a lot of evidence that probably we have. But the thing is, and the question is, is if you are in the hemp business, if you are considering the hemp business, uh, should that be a negative or should that slow you down? And uh, my personal feeling is, and in our hemp operation, the answer to that is a great big No. So uh, let me tell you all the reasons why. But first, a little background. Um, Wow, the day out there, it is a beautiful, sunshiny day. Um, We're doing some heat pump uh, knowledge, information, and education here. Um, As my son is building a new home on the other side of the yard here. And uh, they now have heat pumps that apparently... Uh, for every penny of, uh, of uh, money you put into them, get more of a penny's worth of, of uh, heat back down to 22 below. I remember when they were, they didn't, they weren't effective at like about 20 above. Um, but apparently they're setting them according to our guy in Crookston, and we respect him greatly, uh, Grove, uh, whatever it's called, HVAC. Uh, was started by Wayne Grove, maybe by his dad even. Wayne is uh, two years younger in school than I was. And now, of course, he, uh, I would say lucky guy that he is, but I I don't want to trade lives with him because Wayne, um, after coming out of the the Navy, he was in the Navy, uh, got into that, that business of heating and cooling and literally worked his butt off uh, all of his life and was our go-to company uh, from the day, if not before with my family, from the day that I got back here in 1994. And I know that, uh, you know, I can't count the times that they were here on our various farms uh, in less than nice weather or in hot weather or, you know, when he'd rather be uh, putting his shotguns in the back of the SUV and heading out. And uh, not that we didn't thank him for it and not that we didn't pay him greatly for it. But, uh, you know, he put his time in until a couple of years ago. And uh, they moved away. I'm not sure where they moved to. Have to ask co-friends that we have. But um, what a great guy and what a great company he developed. And now the, the continuation of that company is putting in uh, a heat pump over there. And now I think when they're done with that, they'll probably put one in my home too, because 
uh, the air conditioning unit that's put into my fuel oil furnace in the basement of my house was put in probably in the 90s. And it's been kind of babysat here for the last year. So just sharing that story with you because of the extreme cold that's out there today. But let's talk about hemp now. Um, matter, matter of fact, as we talk about hemp, that's an interesting story too, because you know how popular corn burners were to heat. Oh, in the last 15 years or so. I don't know how they're doing now. Uh, I know that they're using it to heat the swimming pool, the public swimming pool in Crookston. You can see it outside. Uh, they have like a little grain bin there that they put the corn in and then it's augered uh, into the heater uh, as it's needed. But the neat thing is I got to get some samples to just have in my hands for you. The herd, that's what's in the stock of the hemp plant. And we have had stocks out here that are like small trees. They're this big around. Generally, though, in industrial hemp, the stock is more about the size of my little finger, even though it can go to 14 feet high. But when you take the silk, the bark off of that, which goes off to um, paper, blue jeans, anything like that, uh, that herd that's inside is what they use uh, off to the uh, hempcrete uh, insulation and also uh, plant bedding and not plant bedding, animal bedding. And also now they have found that you put that through a bit of a press and kind of press it into a pellet about the size of a corn kernel. And guess what? Not only does it work perfectly well in a corn burner, a corn pellet burner, but the amount of energy in any one of those is more that's in a corn pellet. And you know, a bushel of corn sells on the market for, um, I don't know, what is it right now? Let's find out. Echo, current price of corn on the market. This might answer your question. As of close on Friday, February 5th, corn futures traded at five U.S. dollars and forty-nine cents per bushel on the Chicago. Five dollars and forty-nine cents. Echo stop. That's as current as you can get. Echo is saying Chicago market corn was selling at five forty-nine. Obviously, farmers here in Crookston then get less than that because there's shipping and stuff involved. But obviously, five dollars or so a bushel. And the price of the inside of hemp stocks, probably not anywhere near $5 a bushel. But if you can get some money for the inside of your hemp stocks, which are thousands of pounds per acre, that's a good deal. And it doesn't cost much to run them through a pelletizer. That's just a machine. And you have got product to sell to people with corn burners or people that then may even want to put in a corn burner because they are not paying $5 a bushel. I don't know what it costs to, how many bushels of corn it costs to heat your house. If it was one bushel a day in the, in the dead of winter, if it was one bushel a day, and that would be 30 times five, well, it would be quite a but. Maybe it doesn't take a bushel a day. I don't know. But if it was a bushel of heard, it'd be way less, whatever it is. That's story today. Anyway, what we're talking about, though, is the question is, is has, 
hemp in all of its variations has it plateaued in Minnesota. And that was a um, something that uh, uh, NPR, Minnesota Public Radio, looked at. And one of our uh, past guests, who you all know, David Ladd, uh, was a guest on their show to talk about that because, you know, um, we were going so strong a year ago, uh, even a year and a month ago. And then, uh, you know, when the news hit that we were kind of, schools were shutting down and uh, businesses were closed and I was locked in here at home at the farm, uh, travel stopped and the hemp business just like a guillotine, it shut off. And it has not picked up yet. Um, most farmers have, if not this year's crop in their bins, the year before's crop sitting somewhere. Everything stopped. Um, processors are processing a little bit here and there, but you know, what we used to think of as 250 or $300 a pound for nice buds in a basket um, might now be $15 a pound if you can find a buyer. And I'm telling you, you can't, you can't do the work that's involved in raising hemp um, as a farmer, you know, in a little bit of uh, wayside land down by the river uh, for $15 a pound. Um, you might be able to do that as some of our highly mechanized friends over by Grand Forks can do uh, when you're planting it like grass. If you're just going across the field and you're planting it with a regular grain or sugar beet cedar and you plant it like grass and you don't do anything with it until you come by with the combine and then you harvest it. And so you just do two things and then you get what you get. But then we still have to find a market for it. And that connection has not yet been made on any kind of a large level. Although there are people that are trying to do that. And that's what we're trying to do here in our business. We are trying to make that happen. Uh, the land that we bought was specifically because it's on the junction of two major United States highways. Um, the land that we bought lays the way we want it to. Uh, so we can put buildings on it. And we have um, high voltage electricity with yeah, good, you know, it's not just here at my place. I'm kind of at the end of a, of a two, not even three phase. I'm at the end of two phase. Uh, but over there, we have high amperage, high voltage, three phase power. Um, so, you know, we made a lot of choices in the second farm that we bought uh, because we can literally, uh, you know, as fast as the construction workers get there, build what we want to do and what we're talking to our partners about. As are other people, there's a lot of stuff going on in southern Minnesota. Um, the only thing we don't have is railroad right there by us, um, but it's not that far away. I mean, it's a mile away if, if, if it got down to that, but I don't think it's ever going to get down to that anymore. I think uh, truck truck is the, um, is the way, and if that's the worst thing, you know, um, we have semi-trucks and we can move it to the the railroad siding um, in Crookston and load cars there if that's if that's the uh, the choice. Or we'll have Elon Musk do a <laughs> an underground tube and we'll blow it over there 
if you remember vacuvators, do you remember uh, vacuvators that we still have on our farms that evacuate? They use a giant vacuum cleaner and they they take they take a, a grain out of the bins and put it up in the trucks. There's no reason that using Elon Musk's technology, we couldn't go down underground and put a, a tube this big down in the bedrock and go from here over to the train station and have a giant pusher on one end and a vacuum on the other end and blow our stuff from one end to the other. It wouldn't hurt it at all as far as damaging the seeds. And we could be filling train cars over there without having to have a train spur right here where we are. Now, that would be harder with sugar beets. That would be hard to do. But with small grains, wouldn't that be funny that there's going to be tubes? To I wonder if we could do it from here to Grand Forks even. Yeah. We don't have to have rail cars from Crookston to Grand Forks anymore. We'll just use tube number four. And I don't think that uh, any of the uh, environmentalists could complain because if there was a break or a leak in any way, it would, uh, it wouldn't, uh, there would be no environmental damage of any kind. I patented it here, right here. All of you that are listening, you are my witnesses. Anyway, we are talking about the plateau that hemp is in right now. I'm not worried about it at all, folks. If you look back at anything that happened, when um, oil was first discovered and the big guys out in, in the East Coast, you know, um, and they wanted to do things like an oil pipeline out there and they were moving it by rail. And, you know, there was this discovery and then people had oil lanterns uh, in their houses and it was awesome. And then there was a lag because the inventions came and then the demand came and then the supply came to fill the demand. Um, there are now web pages on the internet that clothes are coming from. By the way, you're, you're thinking I'm going to kid you. Transylvania. There's a factory, a producer in Transylvania that has a line of clothing. They are so stylish. They are, what would you, a little bit L.L. Bean in their style. Not plaids and stuff, but that kind of, that collar look and that kind of outdoorsy, um, well, you know, Transylvania feel, you know, the cap that's kind of set to the side and everything. It's the first one that we find that's really got a whole selection. But uh, hemp clothing are going to catch on. Um, if you're an environmentalist and you're talking to me and you're pitching me and you're not wearing hemp, I think I would shoo you out of the room. Don't talk to me. If you're wearing cotton, high water, high pesticides, high um, forced labor. So if you're talking to me and you're wearing cotton, I would call you a hypocrite. Come in, come back and show me hemp. You can show me hemp shoes. You can show me hemp smooth, silky underwear. You can show me, not that I want to see your underwear. You can show me hemp, beautiful clothes, white, and they can dye them with so many colors now. Um, so many things. You can show me hemp plastics. 
they're being done in Europe on the the mold the, the front dashes and moldings and side panels of cars. They look just like plastic, but it's hemp. Uh-huh. And when it's done, if you don't want to do anything more with it, you can put it out in the sun. You can put it uh, underground and it goes back to its natural elements. No environmental hazard, um, no, um, no harsh chemicals, no 500 years underground before it does something. I can go on and on and on, but we're talking about the plateau of the hemp market right now. Yes, it is doing that now. Um, we just got to get the supply chain built up. We got to get people wanting it. We've got to get, uh, for instance, the Levi type blue jean companies to say they'll take it. But you see, when they say they'll take it, then we got to get the company that makes the flat blue jean denim fabric because the company that makes the cloth isn't the company that makes the blue jeans. So we got to get them, um, we got to get the company that makes the flat cloth able to take it. So then we got to get somebody that can spin the cloth, making enough of it so that they can make a run of the, of the material. You see how it gets complicated? And how do you crank it all up on Tuesday, June 24th? Because if the guy who's doing the spinning can't say, well, I need a cloth company to take it, and the cloth company can't say, well, I need a Levi company to take it and make it. So that's where the problem is. And if somebody had a literally $100 million, if somebody would throw that at it, so we could go to step one, well, and then we got to get a farmer. So we, we take the $100 million and we take some millions of it and say, Mr. Farmer, we're going to buy this from you. And then we're going to have it in giant buildings, and then we're going to go to the machine guys and say, now make this into the next thing we need. If it was blue jeans, we need to make it into what's called silk, the, 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 just the stuff laying out in big strands, almost like spaghetti, like, like angel hair spaghetti. And then we take that angel hair and we got to take it to a guy that's going to make it into the finer, finer stuff so we can take it to the guy that can make it into flat cloth. Then we take it from there to the next guy that's going to make it into some blue jeans. So he's got enough to make 10,000 pairs in every size. So we can take it to the seller, the marketer guy that can take it around because it's got to go to like JC Penney's and it's got to go to the online people and it's got to go to enough people that Madison Avenue or, you know, the big shots are going to have enough, enough copies of it that they can do photo shoots and they can do this and that. And then Ralph Lauren and, or the other designers, I'm, yeah, I'm not happy in this business, but the designer people can look at it and say, oh, you can make this for us now. I would like to make a line of that next year. Who do I talk to? And then it starts going back down the line because maybe the, the, the end guy wants it in his blue. So now we go all the way back because now the farmer's got to, you know, we got 10 farmers that can make, 10,000 acres because they know that they've got it sold to the next guy who's got it sold to the next guy who's got it sold to the next guy. And this is how it's got to warm up and wrap up. It was no different uh, when um, rapeseed, as it was first called. And then they said, you know, that's just not a good word. So we're going to make it canola oil. 
and but they had to know that all the homemakers and the people that were advising cooks and stuff and the university people that were working with foods wanted it to tell their people this is a great oil to cook with it's taste free uh, the temperatures are right if you see a recipe that calls for this you can substitute this the it's called a funnel and that's what has to work so that's why we're in a plateau don't be afraid of it this is actually the greatest opportunity for everyone. If you're thinking at our level, the creation level, here at the farming, if nothing else, every farmer, you see this is where what's happening around us now is killing us because there should be meetings. There should be, if it's a sugar beet meeting, I, I, you know, I would ask to say, hey, can I have three minutes at the end of the meeting and just introduce myself and just start you know, saying, hey, I know it's a sugar beet meeting, but I just want to take three minutes and say, you know, my name is John Reitmeyer. We are, you know, bringing uh, hemp and CBD and fiber and all the other things to the market. And uh, I just love to have come to your place and have coffee with you guys and tell you what's going on. Um, I'm 70 years old. I'm not in it to make money and get rich. I'll be dead before that happens but we're excited about this business and love to talk to you. That's how these things start and happen. So share the knowledge, bring your friends, talk to me, talk to us in my business, talk to your neighborhood, hemp grower, don't be afraid of the plateau. That's our message for today on Chat Canna. Get a hold of us whenever you can. Look at I can always talk 20 minutes. It never, never ends. We'll see you all tomorrow for another Chat Canna. In the meantime, Get out and take a few deep breaths of the cold air to know that you're alive, and we'll see you real soon.